And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines. Sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I'm your host, Ramses Jock. I am your other host, and I go by the name Q Ward. Yes, indeed. Um, and we got a lot left for you to stick around for, so please do so. We're going to be talking about unfair prison sentencing. Um, that's been making some headlines lately, and uh, we need to take a moment or two to readdress that. I'm sure we've talked about it before on the show, but um, we're going to peel back a few layers there. Um, and we're also going to talk about... Uh, how Black History Month came about. You know, we're staring down Black mm. History Month here. And, uh, you know, it started as Negro History Week. So uh, we're wow. going to get into the details of that for our way Black History fact. Um, so like I said, a lot to stick around for. But first, we are going to discuss how to become a better ally. Do it. So this week, we're going to talk about Jack Harlow which is someone we should all know. But if you don't know Jack Harlow, he's a rapper and he's white and he's a really good rapper, makes really good music. He's a he's a really good rapper, by the really way. Good. Yeah, yeah, I like him. And I like him even more now. Um, so this story comes from TMZ. Um, we don't get to use a lot of TMZ stories on here, so I'm excited about this one. Anyway, uh, it says Jack Harlow is gunning for a cop who put his hands on the neck of a woman who wanted to see Jack's show. Now, I've seen this video. She was out. The, the video is her standing on the corner. And she's like, I just wanted to see Jack Harlow. Blah blah. And the officer like grabs her by the neck. Um, so it goes on to say Jack saw the video and was outraged, saying, quote, I was disgusted by that cop. And all I want to do is uh, make something good happen for this girl immediately. I told the world to help me identify her so I could find a way to give her a hug give her as many tickets to as many shows as she wants but that's not enough and it's not a solution to a systemic issue that people who don't look like me have to face the next step is identifying this police officer and getting him unemployed as fast as we can assaulting a young woman and putting his hands on her neck is sickening um and she didn't do anything she was you know they were she was upset of course but she didn't threaten him it was just two officers and a lady standing on the street and then he reached out and he interacted with her being she did not do that with him um so if you see the video you see exactly what he's talking about um to be fair and to preserve our journalistic integrity here a spokesperson for the police department says quote the cobb county police department takes any and all allegations of officer misconduct very seriously we are aware of the video snippet posted to instagram involving our officer and a young woman outside the coca-cola roxy the incident is going through an internal review to get a full understanding of the entire incident before any potential action is taken but um to be fair he shared his stage and he shared his voice and we always want to highlight that and you can take that lesson into your own life and learn from him how to become a better ally. So shout out to Jack Harlow. Now, shout out to Jack Harlow. Unfair prison sentencing. Um, got a lot to go through here. But real quick, I want to share something briefly. I have an older brother. Uh, he goes by Jay. Um, and... I've shared the story on the show before, but for those who haven't heard it, um, my brother's a lot like me, brilliant mind, 
you know, uh, very, uh, he's, he's, he's a man around town or a man about town. I'm not sure how the saying goes. Um, upwardly mobile. Uh, he's a good looking person, very charismatic, you know, all these things. He's not a criminal, none of these sorts of things. That's just not him. That doesn't run in my family, right? Because um, I, I have to say that because I know a lot of people think when I tell the story, like, well, obviously something had to go on. But no, nope. my brother uh, lives and lived at the time in California. Um, and when the new Escalade truck came out uh, many years ago, probably 13 years ago, something like that, um, a new Escalade came out and he went and bought a new Escalade, right? Now, for those that don't know, California is a place where carjackings happen. And uh, my brother worked in the entertainment industry. And um, so sometimes that puts you in parts of town that you might be susceptible to those sorts of things. So he kept protection in the car with him. Right. He had a handgun in the car with him. Um, again, I'm not a gun person, but I don't tell anyone else how to live their life. Right, Q? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, correct. So, uh, so anyway, um, story goes, my brother uh, was taking his girlfriend at the time, now his wife, um, taking her home and dropping her off to her apartment. Um, she gets out of the car, goes into the apartment uh, or goes toward her apartment, I guess. And she gets approached by some guys that were just kind of hanging out there and they started sort of harassing her. Right. So my brother responds because that's his girlfriend. He has to protect her, gets out, takes his gun with him and he shoots the gun in the air to scare the guys off. Now, the good news is that this was on video. Him shooting the gun in the air, the guy's running away, right? Um, the bad news is that when he was pulled over, arrested, blah, 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 the way the story ended up getting back to whoever it was that he attempted to murder these people. Therefore, he was charged with attempted murder, right? even though it's on video. And uh, the way the court worked is they weren't allowed to submit the video as evidence. Now, I'm not as familiar with the trial. This was many years ago and you know, I didn't, I don't, I, I'll be honest. I don't know much about court stuff and police stuff. Cause I don't really interact with those guys, at least not on purpose. But, um, I do know that the one thing that could have showed that he was do, protecting this woman, he, they weren't able to submit that as evidence to the court. And so it was just basically testimony, you know, and, um, attempted murder is a very difficult thing to, not to to prove innocence from when you literally yeah, have the smoking it's, gun. It's hard to disprove something. Disprove, that's what I'm trying to say. Or prove something that didn't happen. Sure. But when you literally have the smoking gun, you know, it's kind of tough to, you know, it's registered to you. It's in your car, you know, like that whole thing. And so um, long story short, uh, he ended up taking a plea deal for, I believe it was 12 years or four, 12 to 14 years, something like that instead of taking a, a deal that did, no, it was longer than 14 years. Sorry, I think it was 16 years. So he took a plea deal instead of doing 22 years, which was the maximum sentence they were going to seek for this, right? Um, anyway, my brother had to go to prison like a bad person 
because and my sister said this is because he's a black man and they were able to do this. And so they just took him off the street, even though he's not a, you know, a, a, a nuisance, never been in trouble with the police before, never is not in a gang, nothing crazy like that. Um, but they took that huge part of my, my brother's life. So we're going to talk about unfair prison sentencing here. Um, first story, uh, I got this from CNN. Now, I don't know if you heard about this, Q, but there's a judge in Lafayette, Louisiana, who had to resign uh, recently over a video that surfaced of her talking about, uh, I believe it was a black man that attempted to burglarize her house, right? So what you happened? Absolutely is, no, I heard about this. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, well, yeah, of course, because we shared in the group chat, but um so basically what happens is this judge is watching the playback of the video of her housemates i don't know if it's her husband or kids or whatever but these guys jumped on the the burglar right and as she's watching the video you hear the commentary you hear what she's saying and she's like actually i have it right here um as the unseen spectators watch the video, they comment on the footage while repeatedly using the N-word. CNN has reported in the video from, her name is uh, Michelle Odinette. In the video from Odinette's home, which circulated online, people appear to be watching the foot footage of the incident on a TV. A male voice is heard saying, mom's yelling, N-word, N-word. A female voice then says while laughing, it's an N-word like a roach. Um, and what she says is, I take full responsibility for the hurtful words I use to describe the individual who burglarized the vehicles at my home. Odinette wrote in her resignation letter to Louisiana Supreme Court Chief Justice John Weimer. Um, now, she said she had taken a sedative and that's why she was racist. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, if you watch the commercial for it, that's one of the side effects. Yeah, you should be extreme. Maybe, you may become drowsy and extreme and extremely racist. That's it's on it's on there. If you it's on the bottle, on the back <laughs> in a very very small print. Now you know what? Here's the thing. The N word, as we all know, is a word that is meant or that is used to put down specifically black people. Had this been a white burglar at her house, she would not have used that word. The point I'm illustrating here is that when that word comes into question, not whether or not she should have been angry, not whether or not this guy was right or wrong, because obviously he was wrong. He was stealing from them. You have a right to protect your family. You have a right to be angry about someone breaking into your car. Absolutely. But be angry. Once you include race and you, she was talking about roaches, there's no way around that. This is not anger. This is racism. I need to say that before I say the next thing. Um, fortunately, the New Orleans district attorney is going back and re-examining her cases where people have been sentenced to prison time because of her judgment, right? Again, we're talking about unfair sentencing here. Another story. Um, this one comes from the Atlanta Black Star. Lawrence Stevens, age 38, thought he was going to spend the rest of his life in prison after a Virginia judge sentenced him to 1,823 years in prison for a 2001 home invasion and robbery. 
Stevens received the lifeline of a lifetime when Hampton, Virginia civil rights activists caught wind of his case. On November 13, 2001, a then 18-year-old Stevens was homeless, working two jobs with a baby on the way. According to Rebecca Wynn, the Hampton, Virginia NAACP Legal Redress and Criminal Justice Chairperson. She says, while working at his restaurant job at the time, Stevens and another Black employee were talked into breaking into a house and committing a robbery. An older white co-worker masterminded the robbery, but never went inside the home. There were five co-defendants in all, but the white participants in the robbery received standard sentences averaging 10 to 13 years as the black co-defendants received harsher sentences. Darnell Nolan, who was 17 years old at the time, received a 35-year prison sentence, and Stevens received 1,823 years. The two black teenagers, their sentencing greatly exceeds that of the sentencing guidelines and that of their white co-defendants, Wynn said, of the lopsided prison sentences. Wynn says sentencing guidelines are put in place to reduce bias, but Judge Prentice Smiley Jr. had a long track record of delivering harsher sentences to black men. Wynn would not go as far as to say Judge Smiley was racist, but she said the history speaks for itself. Man, we are always trying to make sure we don't hurt the feelings of racist people. It yeah, makes me sick. Hang on. Hang on. I got another one. I got another one. 1,832 years. And uh, uh, his uh, white uh, co-defendant got 10. 10 to 13. Yeah. That's we, but we want to tread softly and make, hey, I don't want to say he's racist. <laughs> well, let me Come continue. Come on, man. Um, so I got another story from de- democracynow.org. Um, and this is one we've talked about on the show, but um, uh, in Colorado, uh, Governor Jared Polis reduced a 110-year sentence of truck driver Rogel Aguilera Mideros to 10 years, calling the initial lengthy sentence unjust. The case of Aguilera Mideros, a 26-year-old truck driver from Cuba, triggered widespread condemnation, including a boycott of Colorado led by other truck drivers in protest. Aguilera Mederos has said the brakes on his semi-trailer failed when driving downhill, leading to a multi-vehicle pileup that killed four people in 2019. Uh, And many are calling on the trucking company to be held liable for the crash. So um, had it not been for the outcry and the support of his Uh, fellow truck drivers and, you know, the public, you know, there's lots of cases, lots of cases that don't make the news. And we have data, but these data is actually human beings' lives. These are families that are losing people and whatever. We're going to get to the data in just a second, but this one made its way to the news. 110 year sentence for an accident, you know, even um, even the 10 year sentence is harsh. Sure. I, All I, things I considered. So I, I, I understand too, that people died here. but and that, need, Yeah, someone needs to be held accountable. But as they said, there are people calling on the trucking company to be held liable. And, you, you know, punishing this man doesn't bring those people any comfort. Maybe suing the trucking company and holding them civilly liable for it might bring some something. But you and know, remember it, to point out, Ramses, this was not alcohol or drug. Influence. He wasn't oh yeah, drunk. He wasn't under not. the influence. This was purely an accident. Okay. So what do we do now? We go to the government statistics, right? Because unfair prison sentencing exists, right? 
we see that it's there are judge judges who are racist. There's a whole criminal justice system that's really set up to put black people in cages and exploit them for their labor. Um, for those that know about the 13th Amendment, who've seen the documentary that know those sorts of things, this is big business. It's small enough to where most people aren't overtly outraged by it. It's not like 100% of black people are in the criminal justice system, like what it was when there was slavery, but there's enough people for it to make sense, but not enough for large public outcry. You want to say something? Talk to me. I just don't, I don't think that's numbers based. I don't think it's not, I don't think the lack of outrage is because there's a small number. I think it's just been going on for so long that we're used to it. Not just used to it, but completely unaware. Right. It's like, it's like slavery. Okay. No more slavery. Except if you do something wrong, we can make you a slave. Cool. And then we abolish slavery and then we start doing this. And then there was, there was kind of like, there was no break in there where yeah, they just introduced this right. new thing. Yeah. So it's like, it's not like they came out. Okay. One day, I know slavery ended 40 years ago, but we got this new thing. You guys are going to love it. Like it wasn't like that. It happened so kind of covert and overt at the same time sure. and has been going on ever since. I think that lack of outrage comes from some, a lack of knowledge, but others not really having a chance to be outraged by something that has been going on long before they were born. You know, um, Michael Stevenson, who's someone that I look up to, he's the uh, founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, basically a lawyer that seeks to overturn wrongful convictions. Um, he said something that really stayed with me. He said, you know, if the nation state of Germany was uh, disproportionately, was, was executing people and they were disproportionately Jewish, I couldn't bear it. It would be unconscionable. But yet in this country, there's a stunning silence. And he quotes the numbers I'm about to, to read to you right now. Now, remember, these stats come, this, this actual text comes from ussc.gov. That's the United States Sentencing Commission. And that's a .gov. You can look it up yourself. I've just copied and pasted, okay? Uh, the first point, uh, black male offenders continued to receive longer sentences than similarly situated white male offenders. Black male offenders receive sentences on average 19.1% longer than similarly situated white male offenders during the post-report period, uh, fiscal years of 2012 to 2016, as they had for the prior four periods studied. <laughs> the differences in sentence length remain relatively unchanged compared to the post-Gaul period. Two, non-government-sponsored departures and variances appear to contribute significantly to the difference in sentence length between black male and white male offenders. Uh, black male offenders were 21.2% less likely than white male offenders to receive a non-government-sponsored downward departure or variance during the post-report period. Furthermore, when black male offenders did receive a non-government-sponsored departure or variance, they received sentences 16.8% longer than white male offenders who received a non-government sponsored departure or variance. In contrast, there was a 7.9% difference in the sentence length between a black male and white male offenders who received sentences within the applicable sentencing guidelines range. And there was no statistically significant difference in sentence length between black male and white male offenders who received a substantial assistance departure. And the third point, violence in an offender's criminal history does not appear to account for any of the demographic differences in sentencing. 
Black male offenders receive sentences on average 20.4% longer than similarly situated white male offenders accounting for violence in an offender's past in fiscal year 2016, the only year for which such data is available. This figure is almost the same as a 20.7% difference without accounting for past violence. Thus, violence in an offender's criminal history does not appear to contribute to the sentence imposed to any extent beyond its contribution contribution to the offender's criminal history score determined under the sentencing guidelines. Now let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. Now let's talk about everything. Let's talk about privilege. Let's talk because remember, you know, we talked about this before. Privilege is not a gift. It's not a free million dollars when you're born. Privilege is not having to overcome the same hurdles. And if we're talking about a criminal justice system, imagine being born in a society where there are no real opportunities outside of playing basketball and rapping. You know, everyone around you is poor. There's no upward mobility. You know, you can study hard and you can, you know, all that sort of stuff. But a lot of people know that studying hard is not the answer for everyone. Studying hard only gets you a good job. It doesn't get you wealthy. It doesn't even improve your immediate circumstances. Who wants to study when you're hungry? I'm not saying everyone's might, hungry. I'm not it saying might that just get you a job, not necessarily a good job. Sure. There right? you go. It Depending would... on what, what, but listen, I do want to say this because a lot of folks, you know, they have their arguments. I've been kind of reading what a lot of right wing people believe. Um, I will admit that some people are just bad people. You know, societies are compl complex, right? And you get lots of good people, some bad people, right? But we have a system that treats everyone like they're bad. Now, the story I started this off with, I have an older brother who's black. Doesn't matter how good looking he is, doesn't matter how smart he is, he's black, you know? And he has a gun in a black SUV in Los Angeles, California. In everyone's mind, you know what I mean. You can be the least racist person with the least amount of prejudices and the least, you know, indoctrination. But, you know, if you've grown up in America, that recipe has to trigger something in your mind. Otherwise, you haven't oh, yeah. been paying attention. That and implicit the, the bias fact exists. That it, the fact that it triggers something in your mind, listening to my voice right now, um, illustrates what privilege is. Because there's, if you take away black, this is a guy with, who believes in the Second Amendment. You know, it's, it's a, you know, you can carry it, you know, if you need whatever. You know, but black and gun is automatically criminal, especially in a nice Cadillac. OK, obviously, he's a drug. Dealer. You know, there's so many things that come to people's minds when you put this thing together. My brother has always been um, able to do well for himself. He's brilliant. I wish you could meet him. But um, we have about a minute left. Um, I'm sorry I talked this up. but We had a lot of notes to cover. I do want to get your thoughts on this, too, Q. No, those notes were those notes were important. And these are things that. <laughs> These are things that unfortunately we already knew. Sure. You know, so having this conversation with our audience is what we have to remember that we're doing. Because having this conversation with each other, it's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> well, we call it a, a we call it a black show for non-black people. So, you know, correct. You, you're right. Yeah, but just you know, just understand that so many people that are hearing this either have never heard it or hear it and immediately and instinctively push back on it. Right. And that's because that implicit bias exists. Yeah. Right. Black and gun for a lot of people does mean criminal. Sadly, 
you know, but you look at the gross variance and gross lopsidedness of the sentencing differences based strictly on just whether the, the person is black or white. And it's so obvious, right? But well, a lot of times pointing out the racism in our country makes people feel personally attacked. So they push back on that very hard because you're not talking about a system, you're talking about them because they believe so systemically and so passionately in that system. Well, um, thank you. Uh, as always, brilliant, well said, and spot on. Um, moving on, it's time for the way black history fact. So again, a lot of text here. I apologize in advance, but I do believe that you'll like to know this because I didn't know this and rarely do we come across something black that I don't know. So I will read. Um, this is how Negro History Week became Black History Month. And this comes from the New York Times. In the years after Reconstruction, campaigning for the importance of Black history and during the scholarly work of creating the canon was a cornerstone of the civil, of civil rights work for leaders like Carter G. Woodson, Martha Jones, uh, professor of history at Johns Hopkins University and the Society of Black Alumni Presidential Professor. Um, these men... Uh, who are trained formally and credentialed in the ways that all intellectuals and thought leaders in the earliest 20th century were trained at Harvard and places like that. But in order to make the argument, in order to make the claim about black genius, about black excellence, you have to build the space in which to do that. There is no room. This is how, end quote, and this is how they built the room. All right. On February 20th, Frederick Douglass, the most powerful civil rights advocate of his era, died. Washington, D.C. schools began to celebrate what became known as Douglas Day on January 12, 1897. Mary Church Tennell, an educator and community activist, proposed, proposed the idea of a school holiday to celebrate Frederick Douglass's life at a school board meeting in the, for the Washington area. Uh, and it was for colored schools. The school board agreed to set aside the afternoon of February 14, 1897 the date douglas celebrated as his birthday remember he was born a slave so he didn't know his exact date of birth um but they took february 14th which was the day he used and the students would learn about his life and would write speeches about frederick douglas so douglas day february 14th 1897 all right carter g woodson the scholar now known as the father of black history was inspired to take his work nationwide he was born in 1875, the son of a former enslaved person or former enslaved people. He worked as a coal miner before receiving his master's at the University of Chicago. He was the second African-American to receive a Ph.D. from Harvard after W.E.B. Du Bois in the summer of 1915. Um, Dr. Woodson attended Lincoln Jubilee, uh, commemorating the 50th anniversary of emancipation in Chicago featuring exhibitions that highlighted African-Americans' recent accomplishments. And after seeing the thousands of people who attended from across the country, Dr. Woodson was inspired to do more in the spirit of honoring Black history and heritage. So we're going to hear a lot about this guy, Dr. Woodson. So on September 9th, 1915, Dr. Woodson formed the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, an organization to provide the scientific study of Black life and history, 
Um, and for those that care, today the organization is known as the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, or ASL. Sorry, ASALH. All right. In 1916, the association established the Journal of Negro History, the first scholarly journal that published researchers' findings on the historical achievements of Black individuals. Dr. Woodson believed that, quote, if a race has no history, if it has no worthwhile tradition, it becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world, end quote. Um, to that end, he asked his Omega Psi fraternity brothers to join him in the work of spreading the importance of Black history. The Omega Psi fraternity created Negro History and Literature Week in 1924. But Dr. Woodson had aspirations for Negro history to become a significant part of the culture across the country. He announced the first Negro History Week in February of 1926. Almost done here. Bear with me. He chose February because it was the month in which both Lincoln and Douglas were born. After Lincoln's assassination, his birthday on February 12th, had been celebrated by Black Americans and Republicans. Douglas Day, which was observed on February 14th, had grown in popularity since, popularity since Mary Church Terrell had started it in Washington in 1897. Dr. Woodson saw Negro History Week as a way to expand the celebration of these two men and encourage Americans to study the little-known history of an entire people. Dr. Woodson and his colleagues set an ambitious agenda for Negro History Week they provided a K through 12 teaching curriculum with photos, lesson plans, and posters with important dates and biographical information. Real quick, I want to shout out Dr. Camilla Westenberg one more time, and I'm going to do it every time she crosses my mind because she took the time to teach me. And shout out to my dad, Dr. Rudolph Wayne Taylor, rest in peace, who took the time to teach me. Um, in an article published in 1932 titled Negro History Week, the sixth year, Dr. Woodson noted that some white schools were participating in the Negro History Week curriculums and that this had improved race relations. Yo, shout out to white people in the early 1900s who were celebrating Negro History Week. They're probably all gone or whatever, but those are the people that help get us to where we are. You know what I'm saying? So shout out to them too. Um, almost done. In the 1960s, growing political consciousness among black college students led to a push for more opportunities to study Black history. In February 1969, students and educators at Kent State University proposed the first Black History Month and celebrated it in February of 1970. President Gerald Ford supported Black History Month as an important element in the nation's bicentennial celebrations. In October of 1974, Ford met with civil rights leaders, including Vernon Jordan, Baynard Rustin, Dorothy Height, and Jesse Jackson. As the New York Times reported, the leaders were looking for the president to make a ringing reaffirmation of the nation's commitment to racial justice and moral leadership. And finally, less than two years later, in February of 1976, Ford did just that. Drawing on the patriotic significance of the bicentennial, he issued a statement on the importance of Black History Month to all Americans. He said, quote, in celebrating Black History Month, we can take satisfaction from this recent progress and their realization of the ideal envisioned by our founding fathers. But even more than this, we can seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. Um, real quick, I do want to add that 
Um, every single president since him has made some mention or a commitment to Black History Month. Um, and so <clears throat> since 1976, I believe, um, which a lot of us, you know, perhaps listening to this station were born right around that time or after. Um, and so we might not know that, you know, it wasn't always the case. And uh, so, yeah, to go from Negro History Week to uh, Black History Month, I believe. To go that, from Frederick Douglass Day. Yeah, there you go. Let's talk about it for real. Anyway, um, that's it. That's our show. Uh, we don't have really much oh, time to react to it, but I don't think that we really Dr. Woodson's fraternity, Omega Sci-Fi. Omega Sci-Fi. Did I say it wrong? All right. Well, shout yeah, out left, to the left, Omega left, Sci-Fi. Left a, left a piece of it out, but uh, shout out to Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. One time for the cues. Yes, indeed. Um, so that's going to do it for us. Once again, I'm your host, Ramses Jaff. My name is Quentin Ward, but my friends call me Q Ward. Uh, be sure to check the website, civiccipher.com, to download this and all previous episodes and its topics. Uh, you can make a donation as well. Um, the show is growing with your support. And follow all social media at Civic Cipher. And until next week, y'all. Peace. Hey, yo, we handle it. These brothers are fabulous. Dilated, showing you where rhyme travel is. Worlds is between from sunlight to moon. Busting off stage like gunfights and moons. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists were journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander.